0: One thing that just I think for me would be unreal is, is like taking a history class where you like put on goggles and like get transported to third century like Byzantine Empire or yeah. like Rome or something like that. That is just like to me like such a better learning experience than reading a textbook.
1: Welcome to the Style is Free podcast. I am your host, Brett Liebowitz. Today we have Max Shatkin with us, a CS graduate student here at Cornell Tech with me and also a fellow Princeton alum. We're going to start it off with a quote and get right into it. So here we go. So if we're really to have any hope as a country, we need to find a way to connect people and engender solidarity. That's from Lydia Paul Green, of the editor-in-chief of HuffPost. So I used to work in the New York Times, so I'm in this tech media democracy class and it's all about kind of how journalism, I guess, is in a very weird place right now. Their business model is being flipped on their head with all this access to anyone being journalism. There's a lot of issues with fake news and no one really checking sources. What she was talking about, Lydia, was building platforms in order to help make these things better. So. We'll be working on different little hackathons, basically, creating products to either help journalists dissuade from fake news. So one of the interesting things that one of the guys said, to have people put the revenue that you get from an article, put that in escrow until it's proven to not be fake news, basically. Hmm. And then you get your money, so it's people don't get paid if the thing's fake, then I don't know where the money would go if it is, and maybe pay for I
0: mean, like, escrowship. if you think about Kickstarter, right, you don't actually get charged until, like, the pledge is met or something like that. It's like a promise.
1: So it's just saying the advertisers would not be charged. But they're still getting ads, so... There's still uh, ad revenue coming from fake news. It's very interesting that the old media companies don't know what to do, like their business model is being flipped, yeah. but why is fake news making money then? Uh, one of my thoughts is for a platform or something, like I like Reddit a lot where you take a bunch of sources from different places and are able to view that and comment and things like that. I'll just go into the comment section most of the time, like, read a headline and people will say, oh this is bullshit or this doesn't make sense or this part of it is true or the yeah. summary bots. And she was talking about like a free platform for stuff. so. I could see you have some sort of platform that brings in a bunch of news from a bunch of different places you subscribe to New York Times or like certain topics maybe, kind of of how Reddit does and you get that content for free and they split up ad revenue to different sources based off how many views or comments or stuff like that, how good the article actually is and maybe they keep the money or something if it's uh, fake news or like they get penalized in some way.
0: And any idea that you use to like fight fake news, it's very tough to like have some like ultimate arbiter of like whether this is fake or not. Yes. Which is like I think a big thing that like Facebook is going through over the last years. But well, who are they to like classify something as fake or not, right? Like that isn't any better than like them letting people like see fake news. Dissuasion from fake news has to be like a social pressure. like. Mm-hmm. If you publish fake news and it's proven to be fake, there's some kind of low Uber rating, you know? Like, you get a bad Uber rating, and so, like, now you you lose credibility as, like, a, as like someone posting it. In order for that to be effective, like, whenever an article is posted, you would have to, like, say, this was written by this person with a, like, fake news rating of whatever. What percentage of journalism is, like, that open about the writer?
1: I it, feel like a lot of people, lot like, of- buy, like, it'll... The the, the article name and then by whoever. I I feel like most of it is not anonymized, especially opinion pieces, but even more so, like they like attribution to their work. Yeah. And I I don't think the anonymity would be a problem. I think what would be interesting is to keep that from being politicized, right? Like, how do you get a really nonpartisan group of people to review, like a third party to review this stuff and have verification that it's fake or not? And, like, what defines fake news? There's a ton of sensational news. The recent presidential election in 2016 was very much focused on that. Like you could tell, depending on what news source an article came from, even reputable ones like New York Times, even if it's real, there's definitely an agenda behind what they're saying. Is that considered fake news, that they're pushing their own agenda? Because right. I would feel like most news sources are, and that's kind of a problem, which is why there is opportunity for like independent news sources to come up and actually have truth found in in things and get like facts and figures as opposed to more like trying to sway people. It's obviously more so in politics and stuff related to political like things, but it's interesting. Like, how do you get make sure that ratings accurate? Cause you can't just like poll random people to say like, oh, is this true or not? Because people will just lean toward what they want to be true, which is sure. the current problem.
0: But so yeah, so it's interesting. You. You're talking about this like decision-making process from like you say it should be like a non-partisan group I think that like political leaning is a part of it But you you also mentioned reddit. Have you seen uh, one of the recent uh, reddit articles called deep fakes?
1: No,
0: someone made an an app called fake app. You can basically you can supply a video of someone and then a bunch of pictures of someone's face and It literally seamlessly like you cannot tell It, it implants the new face onto the person in the video Mm -hmm. and you can't tell that it's like that it's a different person unless like you know the person's face and you're like oh this is not them where that where that will lead is that like it's not only like a a nonpartisan group of people that need to decide whether this is fake or not it's like advanced algorithms and like a a, a group of technical like a technical team that needs to be also on board with this to like to figure out if this like news is doctored by an algorithm because I think that a lot of Fake news in the future will be like from some kind of like intelligent machine spitting out a news story or something.
1: Right. No, that's very interesting because I haven't seen that exact link, but I have seen things like here's Nicolas Cage in all every movie ever. Like, this replaced the main characters with Nicolas Cage. Right. And they're the ones where you make facial expressions and it'll make like George Bush do the facial expressions on a news story. So, I'm surprised it hasn't quite been a problem yet. Maybe it's too new, but I definitely see like authenticity of not just reporting on news but actual like video of news because we're not yeah. used to that yet and like how can you trust if anything's real at this point? Like it's not even see C- like CGI where there's a dragon or something, but actually you can make a video of someone doing anything you want. Like think of there was a huge thing where they drew like Muhammad in a cartoon. I yeah. mean, you remember, I can't remember the name of that place, but and there was I think like terrorist attacks. I think, it was, attacks.
0: Lo- I think I it was in London. London. And
1: yeah. Yeah, forget the news arc. We need we need someone on the computer in the background, like looking up stuff for us. But imagine you could do that with any political figure, any religious figure, any sort of you can make a mockery of anyone. Nude photos, like to an extreme. So it's that's another way technology is entering journalism and and news media in general.
0: Yeah, it's a bit scary because like facts are accessible uh, in today's day. It's just it takes like a little bit of effort to like you know do some Google search or whatever as like the kind of doctoring of these of the like evidence of hard evidence becomes Mm -hmm. like more advanced like now we're taking you know a step back into Mm -hmm. like fake news where it's not just like here are facts and like here's the like the fake or the wrong interpretation of fact it's like what are facts right like we're going one step backward um so i and i think that opens up a lot of opportunity for innovation on this front but you mentioned the beginning like what is the business model for something like this like I guess I mean you you would sell it to like institutions that like want to like promote the truth so like media organizations or something like that yeah but how do they you know
1: well they won't also want to promote their truth and like yeah. what they they want to get there that's what I think is very interesting about media it's a lot of different companies not just media but it's all getting to be owned by a few people right like some like get all the names but cnn like there's a whole group of stuff that's owned under one person okay. so if they have something that they want to be pushed they can like trickle that down to support their needs or support what whatever that they want to have happen from a legislative standpoint like common what they want people to think standpoint and yeah just yeah. i think the problem kind of has to arise first before people start paying to dissuade it you can't it's like so, like here's insurance for something that doesn't exist yet but it, it is existing and like they can do it in real time too which is yeah. so i was just running through like maybe you have stuff on the blockchain that proves that it's ex- this exact moment and it's like authenticated at that, that but you can do it in real time like what's the stop like, how do you actually authenticate something like unless you have a live tracker that you can guarantee is not being like manipulated like a live camera on your body like a police body cam at all times that's like guarantee software that's not manipulable Right. that you can go and be like as an alibi I call it alibi like as the product
0: no I, I saw him in the well, the one credit blockchain mm-hmm. course and uh, in the very first class he asked us to come up with um, with an idea for digital signatures the one that I used was like a academic transcript digital signature like universities could like digitally sign your transcripts so that when you're applying to employers or like other schools uh, it can be like verified that mm-hmm. you come from there but uh, after the class or near the end of it I thought like what if you had your geolocation digitally signed and Mm -hmm. like uploaded to the blockchain and then like in the event of like a crime you have an alibi you have like a right verified like location to where you were you don't you don't need to rely on like witnesses yeah
1: but then that also goes into privacy as well right because that's a huge issue my theory on that's always been like if laws were just it wouldn't be a problem But with all this data being recorded and people can mine data in the future to, like, make it look like, like, they can go after you for doing something that maybe is illegal, maybe not, but, like, they can pinpoint on you. Like, I like looking at, like, marijuana being illegal, cannabis being illegal, that, like, there's a good percent of people who have at some point possessed cannabis on their person, like, a large percent that you couldn't even, like, jail everyone for, like that happening, but if you were able to record everything and you wanted to go after a specific person doing a crime like that, like, oh, they had this on, they did one illegal thing that we know, and it's just like, are those laws just? Is it, I think laws are kind of made that, oh, here's like harsh penalties, that if it, ha- like, they'll get away with it 99 times or more, and like the one time we get them, it makes up for all that, and it's like an averaging out situation. Yeah. So it's, yeah, just laws, I like that idea, like I think privacy, I like respecting privacy, but, like, it also helps on a tech standpoint. Like, it's it, they're clashing constantly.
0: But the nice thing about blockchain, right, is that, like, maybe just, maybe not blockchain, but digital signatures is that you can upload this data and it's all out there, but there's no connection between uh, this data point and, and you as, like, a physical person. Mm-hmm. At least there's no explicit connection. There are, like, algorithms that you can run to, like, kind of, like, imply, like, if you knew this person was, like, here, here, and here at, like, these different times, you could probably sift through the data and, like, predict, like, all right, this, this, like, hash is this actual person. Right. And so now every time you see this hash, right? But, like, other than that, they don't know it's you unless you give your private key. From the law perspective, um, laws have to change with, like, as technology is changing. Maybe, like, it will be unlawful for a judge to, make you give up your private key you know uh, unless yeah. unless there's like a warrant or something like that
1: the thing that's interesting to me about security and like crypto security is that most hacking nowadays is people phishing your stuff like it doesn't matter how good like this private key security is if they can get access to that private key like by you sent it's like when the the dnc um podesta yeah. guys email hacked he was fished. like he sent it to his like tech guy and he's like oh yeah that's that's like email from Google, and they got their password that way. It's not like in the movies where someone's hacking on a computer, breaking into databases. It's like most of the time it's someone giving that information up accidentally. And so it seems you need like an educated populace. even then maybe not, like educated on that you need to hold this private key. And like what about losing your private key and stuff like that. So no matter how good the security is in the back end, like making it not accessible so we're not able to give it up because I feel like it's more the human error that that stuff gets compromised as yeah. opposed to the actual technology behind it like stored in a database in a blockchain on
0: this topic of like law and tech I went to a talk this past week from she's a professor at uh, UNC mm-hmm. she also is uh, she writes for like I think the tech uh, tech column in the New York Times she was talking about how how our current laws, she was talking about kind of like bias and in, in like prejudice mm-hmm. uh, in how like that is to some extent like forbidden in our current laws, but it's forbidden in a way that like assumes that a human is doing the like, is being prejudiced. And mm-hmm. so like uh, discriminating based off like race, which is something that like a human can see easily. Right? Or like, physical disability stuff like that current algorithms and like current like prediction algorithms and like you know a lot of machine learning algorithms that are used to like optimize like she was giving the example of like hiring a company is like companies are starting to use like hiring algorithms to like optimize employee intake Mm -hmm. but it's very possible that this algorithm is being prejudiced against you know mothers who are pregnant or something like that Right. right because the the amount of data that it sees is a, is a lot more diverse than like the data that a human would see. Mm-hmm. And so like under the hood you might not know it but like it is being prejudiced against a group of people. It's just not uh, it's not anywhere like explicitly stated in the law that like you can't be prejudiced against like, you know, this person with like this thing, you know.
1: Right. Uh, it's unintentional racism. Right. Not, maybe not yet, yeah, yeah. not
0: racism, but yeah, some kind of prejudice. Yeah. Companies that are using this are like they, they know that like their algorithms can be biased, but again, they're looking at the bias to make sure that like it's not racially biased or it's not this Where, And there's no kind of like flow down requirement from the government from the law that's saying that's like protecting different aspects different dimensions of humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like a very interesting. Uh, like how do we how do we move forward with like changing the law in light of yeah.
1: this? No, that's interesting. I think like going back to what you're first saying, yeah. something I think very interesting about government is like how slowly it moves. Yeah. If you compare that to how the tech industry moves, like everyday software within a year things can be totally different. I work on web development. That's open source. People are changing stuff, new libraries all the time. Like about deep learning and all the machine learning, everything is advancing so fast, and we're using a government system that maybe a few hundred years old that hasn't really advance and like definitely doesn't have the trajectory to keep up or advance that fast so and there's like the amount of how long it takes for laws to happen like you need a lot of sessions and like there's reasons for it and against it but yeah it's super interesting to see how technology like goes off at a much faster rate than laws and see if laws can keep up with that and we need to figure out ways in order to like make those kind of in line especially how much tech is taking over yeah and yeah, an interesting point what you were saying i took uh networks and markets with raphael pass last semester and one of the things a very similar concept he was saying that okay like you have a product and you have an algorithm that's allowed to give discounts to certain people because it thinks that they'll actually make these people will actually make a purchase if they were getting this discount code based off of any sort of like their past like purchase history or what they're into are you allowed to do this this like would it be morally okay that your algorithm happens to target like only a certain type of people or like only a certain type of people don't get your your discount. So like you would think naturally like yeah, like, you're just trying to maximize value. Like people give discounts all the time in order to like make more sales. So like at what point do you have to like watch that and manage that? And like are there like systemic things or other factors that would cause like a group of people to be discriminated against and like how do you, like that's even more like philosophical. Like how do you, yeah, yeah. How do you make laws for, for this AI technology? Because like that's is we we see that something wrong, but like how do you even fix that based off how things work already?
0: Yeah, I mean, and there are multiple dimensions of this. Like, like there's the like whose fault is it if there is prejudice, right? If like some kind of prejudice is uh, is found, or like an example, like a kind of obvious example, like a self-driving car makes a decision that kills a human. Right. Who who where's the responsibility lie? is it like with the corporation, is it with the you know engineers? Is it, it there's there's a lot of things here and then like you know and also like you like you mentioned like mm-hmm. flowing down regulations and it's not even it, it's difficult because it's a conversation that has to be had with the people developing these algorithms, right? Cuz like you know a government can be like, "All right, well, you can't, you know, racially discriminate." You know, if that just like blanket like regulation is like flowed down to these like machine learning Algorithm engineers, that's not an easy thing to do. It's no. like it's it's a there are ways that like prevent an algorithm from like predicting the same class like multiple times, but it's like it's like a little bit of a hack, and I think there's like a well known like if you've heard of like the three laws of robotics from like iRobot.
1: It's right? been a while, but yeah. It's
0: like it's like the first law is like. You can't harm a human. Second Mm. law is like you have to listen to anything Mm. a human tells you to do. And third law is like if you don't conflict with the first two laws, then like protect yourself. Right. But uh, I think there's been like several articles where it's almost impossible to, um, in these algorithms, to like set these like hard rules. There are infinite number of ways to interpret, misinterpret, like reinterpret uh, these rules that it's like very difficult to kind of just say like, these are rules that you can't break. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is definitely like a conversation, you know, that needs to be had with, with lawmakers, technologists. And I think that like it's, it's, it's happening. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I, and I think Cornell Tech is actually a, a great place where this kind of conversation is like, is happening and starting. Uh, it's just, it seems like an insurmountable, like...
1: Right, like, how do you actually accomplish that goal? Like, we know the, the yeah. problem, even, and even if people were all on board and ready for it. And I've heard of A16Z podcast, with yeah. Andreessen Horowitz's podcast, probably about a year ago or so. They had uh, a section where they went to Washington, interviewed government. That's what I liked about them. They're very... They think about all these different things and very cross-disciplinary. And there are committees, like, there are caucuses, I believe they're called... Like ad, like trying to work with the, the tech companies and figure these types of things out, but which is at least which is good at least like it make, gives me hope that they're looking at it. Yeah, even if you have everyone on the same page with the right intentions, there's so much other background noise. Like you even forgot about all that. it's a, it's a hard problem. Yeah, and yeah, and, like, and
0: like you said, it's it's a hard, it's harder because of how fast things are moving. That even because of that, that even brings into like another dimension into this and in, like can you ask companies to slow down, right? Like, to what extent can you, like, ask a company to forego profits in order for, like, you know, government to catch up, basically? Maybe not in those terms, but, like...
1: It amounts to that.
0: Yeah, it it kind of amounts to that, right? Like, we don't have, like, a, a real hold as how to, like, solve some of these, like, societal issues. It seems like... Ethically dubious from like a corporation's perspective right. to like keep going forward full steam.
1: No, we we're talking about open source before. Like, who is held accountable if you have this repo that yeah. people use if that gets popular? Yeah, no, and like with self-driving cars, I think one of the most interesting things is insurance, like how that will change. Cause that you, a lot of people are like. Oh, like people don't want self-driving cars; they like driving, which like yeah like maybe it'll be a weird transition period but i think the fact that you'll have to pay less insurance like is a huge huge adoption factor yeah and it's very interesting like they don't know like no one really knows like how that's going to work like maybe there's people working on it with ideas and people looking at it in, in these fields but it's it's really up in the air and yeah with all these algorithms that you're talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning it's like you we need analysis on how these are working to see if there there's discrimination involved. Yeah, and which and why I'm a little pessimistic about it is today like there with certain laws we can see discrimination that uh, like people like certain demographics get arrested for certain types of crimes at multiple times higher for this like doing the same rate of the crime and especially like why certain laws have come into existence. It's very it's very interesting with government, and you could, I feel like on a large scale, like on like the federal and national international scale, it's a lot of corruption involved, like crony capitalism, which involves, like, capitalism, corporations as well. Like, maybe regulations are put, being put into play, but they're for self-interest as opposed to the common interest of people.
0: It's like a never-ending set of trade-offs. Corporations want to optimize profits, which, like, kind of, like, takes care of their shareholders and also, like, pumps, like you know, innovation and, like, money into the economy, there needs to be a line of, like, influence into the government sector. When you, like, talk about this line, it's like, all right, is this a violation of free speech? It's like why democracy is so,
1: like, complex, right? Right. And we're, like, technically a republic, right? Like, we don't vote on everything. Sure. Like, it's we have these representatives who are supposed to vote, like, for the people, but there's definitely obvious incongruencies. That they vote for their self-interest or you can see their donors are or like you can't even see who like with all these super PACs and everything you can't see where the money's coming from so maybe even just making it transparent would that help the situation there's a lot of different ways but it's definitely obvious that it's kind of out of touch with yeah making it best for the individual
0: people used to complain about how like politicians were like only interested in re-election right while that like seems bad I think that, like, that's, it's not a bad thing because, like, re-election is, like, your accountability to the people, right? Like, you are elected by the people. And so, like, if your main goal is re-election, you will, like, do what the people want, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you won't do what, like, you think is, is right, maybe, which, you know, there's, like, pluses and minuses there. Right. But, like, you'll, you'll be doing what your job is, which is, like, what the people want. Whereas, like, nowadays... Uh, there's been like a lot of studies in that like politicians are still focused on re-election but re-election is now a much more a factor of these how much money these large corporations right. uh, or these interest groups can give you uh, and that's a much more like a much larger factor now and so now this like accountability to the people is lost right uh, there's, there's still the same incentive for re-election uh, but now you know there's a new kind of stakeholder
1: yeah, and re-election is very interesting because, like, regardless of, of all that, it's half their time spent getting like making calls and get, run, doing fundraisers and getting this money into play. So they're not even working on politics most of the time. It's not. It's just the system that they're in that they have to raise all this money in order. Like, running campaigns are expensive. Yeah. And like, it's it's very difficult to do it without that. And so, like, how do you how do you combat that even? Yeah, and there holds the donor. Something I like about technology and the internet, fantastic invention, like, <laughs> Agreed. Is, Agreed. is people can have so much information at their fingertips that they can see if politicians are going for like what they say. Like, I guess going back to media and stuff, back in the day when only, like there's still only a few companies, but back in the day there was even less. Like, you, ha- you got your, your news from the TV. You got your news from the newspaper. Like, there's only so much, like, place you get your media from and that's where you could make the determination now with the internet there's open discussion you're actually hearing like if you want like not everyone wants to hear it's part of the problem but you can if you want to you can go out and have a conversation with someone and figure out why like if you don't just go in there with like a sports like bias that's your team or something like that you can go and figure out stuff and see why someone would think a certain way. And so something with like the Me Too and like how Hollywood's being outed for doing wrong things and like now it's like going to different industries, like politicians, everywhere, like people like people are having a voice again where they're seeing stuff that are wrong and actually combating it. It doesn't always work but in a lot of cases it's really showing that we want good people in power. We want people that doesn't matter how good they are at their job or what they're doing how much how good of movies they make or how much money they're bringing to something they like we want people who don't abuse their power yeah. and so hopefully that trend continues in a good way to support like the continuation of that one can hope <laughs> one can hope yeah. So yeah hopefully the open internet that would that would happen <laughs> yeah so something i wanted to pick your brain on um on this podcast was sure. deep learning in your own words what how would you describe deep learning? Like, what is it? So the viewers know, or I guess listeners know.
0: So there are two kind of large uh, umbrella terms uh, that describe like intelligent algorithms uh, today. And like, there's there's like machine learning, and there's artificial intelligence, and there's probably different definitions for like what these are. Most people would agree they're kind of like overlapping spheres. Right. Um, so like machine learning. Uh, is used in artificial intelligence for a lot of a lot of the, like, learning from data side, but it's also kind of, like, a fancy term for, like, data analysis. Right. Um, right, so, like, your standard, like, logistic regression analysis is, like, fits under the machine learning umbrella to a certain extent. Uh, whereas AI, again, like, uses machine learning and, like, intersects with that for an agent to, like, learn from, like, past past examples from 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 history from data but there's also a a lot more to ai than just like machine learning there's like a lot of a lot of like world formulation questions like how do i take the outside world and like formulate into a current state and then like how do i make the best like action in that state and so there's 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 a whole like the control theory side of things so deep learning i don't know if i could put it like succinctly it's like one of these two camps mm-hmm. i mean it, it's a, it's within machine learning but it's also used by the AI, ai community a lot and it's essentially a enhancement of a machine learning algor- algorithm called neural networks mm-hmm. um and so neural networks were like invented i think in like the 60s or like right. thought of and they were uh, a couple i think they'd been through one or two like cycles where like first everyone was like hot on them and then uh they proved to not be very efficient AI winter, Neural Network winter, or something like that. Um, and, and recently they've started coming back into kind of the limelight, mostly because of three different like, factors. Um, one is computational power. We just have like GPUs and processing units like that can process way more, way, like a lot more data, a lot faster now than even you know, 10 years ago. A lot more data, there's just like a lot more sensors that store a lot, a lot of data. Right.
1: Internet of things.
0: Yeah, Internet of Things is, like, only just beginning. Also, like, a little bit of improvement in algorithms. And so, like, this algorithm, uh, I think, is where, like, this deep learning thing comes in. And so, basically, neural networks are, like, loosely uh, motivated by, like, how your neurons in your brain work. Mm -hmm. In the sense that they have, like, a bunch of inputs from, like, other neurons. And then there's, like, one one output. And it, it feeds to, like... To neurons and so it, there's like some kind of function that takes in this collection of inputs and spits out an output and if you combine a bunch of these together they like they model very complex things if you think about how like fourier analysis like you put a bunch of like sine waves together um and you can come up with like any function you want mm-hmm. this is like kind of like that where like you put a bunch of non-linearities together and they can model almost any function like an extremely complex function and so this this process of like figuring out how to what this function is is the learning part right so it's like a lot of like input data and out and like yeah it's like the inputs and the outputs and like the model itself like learns through this process of like backpropagation yeah yeah.
1: you're basically like putting a function with a bunch of inputs into another function with a bunch of inputs and eventually you get the output result from that
0: right and and if you have like what the output should be it's then kind of just an optimization problem, right? Like, here's what my current output is. I know what the output should be. How do I minimize that loss?
1: Right. To so your training set where you can actually, like, change the weights on your functions right. and stuff like that in order. If you have that data, you can figure that out and then use that, keep using that and maybe even using the new data to update your algorithms to make right. it better.
0: Yeah. So, it's it's. I mean, it's all, like, if your objective function of this optimization problem is, like, True output minus, like, predicted output. Uh, this process of brack propagation is essentially you take the derivative of that loss function. The derivative of the predicted output is, a, is itself a function of all these weights. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you, you kind of use the chain rule to figure out, you know, what the derivative of the loss as a function of each weight is. And then you use that, like, you use, like, the chain rule... To get yourself the update, um, and you know there's different parameters and stuff, so that's kind of like a basic neural network. These deep learning networks, they people have come up with like different architectures that seem to work well on like certain types of data. So for image data, or conversely like time series data stacked kind of like an image, there are these kind of algorithms called convolutional neural networks. They they take like this kernel and they like sweep it over like your image. It tries to map kind of this like three by three or like whatever your kernel size is it tries to map like what's in there to an output that was i think like first invented for mnist or like first used to kind of solve mnist which is like digit recognition like handwritten digit recognition
1: right like zero through nine figuring out what number people are writing with their hands right exactly
0: uh and so that was like i think one of the first like big applications for that was like handwritten check Scanning,
1: Right, yeah. People use their phones to take an image of your check. Yeah. That's how the computer, like, their, your bank actually says the right number, so you're getting the right amount of money deposited. So you yeah. don't have to go to the bank, go to the ATM, to the teller, deposit your stuff, get your money, just get it right away.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, even, I think, in ATMs, I think they started using this technology. So, like, when you put in your check...
1: Uh, so before it was on the mobile like consumer application, that's how the ATMs were figuring it out. So you didn't have to go to the teller. Right now right. you can just do it anywhere. Take a picture. Forget if you actually uploaded this check yet. Get a call from your bank that <laughs> yeah, you exactly. already did this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So
0: <laughs> and it, it like worked surprisingly. Like like
1: I'm always and, surprised. I'm wondering how yeah. much they use the handwritten because there's like three you have the handwritten, like, 403 cents, and then you have the actual numbers. Right. So it has, like, some and then you ask, is this right? Have yeah. have all the confirmations there for you.
0: I think it probably uses the numbers.
1: Uh, I would say mostly, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that, I mean, I don't know. I think that it, it maybe, like, reads the words. I think that's a yeah. harder
1: problem. If it knew your handwriting enough, maybe that would be easier. But to get everyone's... Yeah. I guess that's the problem. Like, what MNIST tries to solve is how to get a random person writing a digit... There's only nine of them as opposed to 26 letters they can write in cursive or manuscript, yeah. Higher dimensional problem with like
0: uh, characters as opposed to digits. I think that was like the beginning um, and I'm not like an expert on deep learning history but like from what I have learned that was like one of the beginning applications for convolutional neural networks. Somewhat recently or like sometime after that or maybe before, I don't know um, there are these kind of networks called recurrent neural networks which are Whereas a convolutional neural network kind of looked at the spatial parts of, of input data, recurrent neural network looks at the time series aspect of data. And so if you think about it, like in the convolutional neural network, the weights of a spatial part of an image or of an input are tied together. It's something called like um, spatial invariance. Whereas in recurrent neural networks, if you have a series of inputs mm-hmm. that are, that corresponds to different time steps, your like nth time step is connected to your n minus one, your n minus two, and all the way back to your first time step. Mm-hmm. Y- You're tying weights together across time, um, and so that allows you. That's used a lot in like text data, where it's not really time, but like the chronological order. Like chronological when I order. texted
1: something three texts ago that's more likely to show up than if i texted something a year ago or
0: even the, just like in a sentence right i see this word right. i want to relate it back to the words
1: before it right the context basically yeah yeah i like doing that on my phone i get like three options i'm like yes yeah i gotta like, see how many i can go with like making the sentence i want yeah That exactly. makes it easier instead of having to type it all out that's cool so yeah. what do you see we got, did a lot of the the Technology and how it works like what do you see as like applications like what are your favorite because I know we talked about it already a little bit with like Different tech and media and government like what are your favorite like you're looking forward to? Um, uses that aren't quite there yet, or maybe like they're just starting.
0: Yeah, so I think self-driving cars is is like an obvious answer but it's also like something that like I would just love to see just personally like when I worked for Lo- at Lockheed Martin for two years mm-hmm. after Princeton Uh, I had, my first year I had an hour commute to and from work. Oh, wow, yeah. And then my second year it was a little bit better, but it was still like half an hour. And, you know, I got into podcasts, which was like a nice like, right, kind of byproduct of having that long of a commute.
1: Podcasts are great.
0: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) It still was like the biggest inefficiency of my day. Right. And so just the thought that like, it's not only going to make things like easier For humans and free of time but like it's also gonna make it safer I think it's huge so like deep learning plays a um a large role in like these self-driving cars um from the like perception standpoint so like I need I want to perceive the car rather Mm -hmm. needs to perceive what's around it Mm -hmm. and so that uses a lot of deep learning I don't know to what extent like decisions like decision making uses deep learning I
1: think probably not a lot in cars what does it use it for We're saying perceiving just like image recognition
0: i think a lot of it is is image recognition right image would be if like you're using cameras 2d cameras mm-hmm. a lot of these cars have to use at least two cameras where like you you create this stereo get so depth basically perception. yeah basically you get depth yeah. so they either use two cameras which are which are a fixed distance apart mm-hmm. and like because that you know that distance you mm-hmm. can kind of figure out based on How the changes far you
1: don't need- rear-end the car in front of you or, yeah yeah
0: that's that gives you some accuracy of like depth most teams working on self-driving cars use an extra sensor whether it's like lidar which is like laser mm-hmm. or radar which is an active sensor which means that like it actively sends out a pulse and waits mm-hmm. for a response whereas cameras are are passive right because all they're not they're not sending anything out they're just like extracting information right. from the world these LiDAR sensors. More like
1: bats and echolocation. You like, yeah. send the thing out and you can that's how see, see what's around it. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Any, any like futuristic robot vision that you see, like send out a little bloop and you can see what's around you.
0: Yeah. I mean, like that's what radar basically right. is. Uh, just like different... The lasers
1: La- are cooler to use. Yeah.
0: LiDAR is just like a different... They just do the same thing with, with lasers.
1: Yeah.
0: I think that's one big application for deep learning, which I can't wait for. Mm-hmm. So if we break it down into kind of the the different, like, technologies, there's a lot of vision applications. I think Amazon Go, what they're doing with, like, kind of redesigning the supermarket experience, I think is going to be cool. Uh, It's more of a convenience. Like, I'd like to think of, like, technologies that actually help society.
1: Right. Impact consumer, like, a large scale.
0: Yeah. Or just, yeah, maybe not even, like, first world consumers, but, like, third world consumers as well. Uh, I think the actually... majority of
1: the population. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think, um, so machine translation is, is a cool application where like you can speak to someone of a different language and if like you, you both are, have access to this, to this algorithm, mm-hmm. it'll be able to like in real time uh, translate like your, your sentences into the language of someone else. Uh, so I think that, that's huge. That like yeah. increases communication. You don't have this like Tower of Babel
1: uh, thing at all that's funny because i'm a huge fan of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yeah and they have something called a babble fish where it's like a little fish you put in your ear and just instantly translates everything really and yeah like i've seen like different earphones that have come out that claim to do this but like i was saying read on reddit the comments so i was like no the technology's not there yet but yeah that was a communication with anyone in the world because i don't know how many hundreds or thousands of languages there are but that would be that'd be fantastic but yeah it's just interesting because languages they don't there's not even exact translations for everything so it'd be interesting to see how that actually takes place but like i don't know, like google translate gets better and better every year like just typing that in alone so if you could get that in real time that would be awesome yeah and just like have a google phone just its ability to recognize my voice and what i'm saying like is fantastic I, I love it
0: harking back to like earlier points of this cu- uh, of this discussion is that there's like a lot of privacy issues and stuff like that mm-hmm. but uh, i think that comes with any new technology there's right. like issues so like if we like set those aside for a second um yeah like speech recognition in general speech mm-hmm. recognition speech translation i think is
1: is going to be big right um get a lot because like right now people have at least phones like a lot of people have phones alexas i know we're talking about third world countries so it's not as populous there as as many applications of devices yeah but yeah just like everyone's carrying around a device nowadays so like if you can compile that data and anonymize it in some way private keys on the blockchain like yeah <laughs> yeah you could get a lot of data well i like too is like how people like I have my my phone. It'll take pictures I took fifteen years ago, ten years ago, and like do facial recognition. And so it's like it'll take pictures of when I'm a baby and put it in my little like Brett category, right? Which is odd. like you never take people from the background, so it gets data that you wouldn't even think was there like at the time, not useful. So like everything I type in, I'm like this can be used at some point, like, even if it's not relevant now. They can come up with the algorithms or the, the the processing power to actually like make something out of this, which I think is super yeah. interesting. Yeah, as
0: long as the data is organized. Yeah. uh it's uh, yeah like anytime you need it you can you'll be able to access it yeah uh, which is great i i also like um a technology which like you know not really related to deep learning but like probably will use deep learning is virtual reality mm-hmm. and like augmented reality i think is going to be really fun i'm excited to see what applications actually come out of it right because right now it's it's more more of the fun i think there's like a lot of cool use cases that can be uh thought of right i just i'm excited like one thing that just i think for me would be unreal is is like taking a history class where you like put on goggles and like get transported to third century like byzantine empire like rome or something like that that is just like to me like such a better learning experience than reading a textbook like, I watch, I watch some, like, historical, like, fic- half fiction, half nonfiction shows. And, like, the kind of, the details that they go into, like, these are details that are, like, written down probably in books. Like, how people, like, go about their day-to-day lives right. and, like, the type of, like, tools that they use. But it's not something that, like, when I read it in a book, like, really makes an impact to have on To actually
1: live and see it.
0: Yeah, to, yeah. like, see, like, a video of, like the occupation that people have or, like, mm-hmm. the different, like, the clothes that they wear.
1: Yeah. yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of augmented reality. That's one of my favorite things coming out that I hope they get to work, I'm yeah. sure, at some point. Like, I'm very just like, magically hoping that they come through with their billions of dollars to create something awesome. It's so difficult. So I'm working on a project where we use, like, augmented reality in a car, for, like, talking about autonomous vehicles, like, how people would use that. And, like, the HoloLens is probably the most prolific augmented reality set right now mm-hmm. is if you're driving in the, like you're sitting in a car driving it doesn't work because you're move or the car is moving but you're not moving and it's not there yet it doesn't know what's going on so it just like doesn't work it's like super interesting so like but talking about applications i've like subscribed to subreddits about augmented reality one of them i've seen recently is it knows your food preferences or like like i'm gluten-free so it was showing that you're looking in the cereal aisle at cereal boxes and it put it puts X's over the ones that you can't eat or don't want to eat, and then like Cheerios come up like check mark like that's the one for you because you know. And so it uses the the vision aspect of it like a design like hackathon sort of thing a couple weeks ago in Israel and uh, the Technion, and it was just basically like, have the craziest ideas like think of the most like, we, we ended up like buying Google for their data at the end of it like but one of the, the our idea was like using augmented reality and using, like basically your, it was a tourism-based idea, like come up with the best idea for tourism, and it's that you're in a place, you use augmented reality, like put you on a path and start you on a certain way to like, right. follow someone else's path and stuff like that. You could actually, like, if you're the first person to find something, like that could be your artifact, like save it on the blockchain, and you can see it for later. But what I thought was really cool was the idea that if you're recording everything, like at some point that becomes history. You can actually like live through history. Like a hundred years from now, if we're recording all these experiences, you can go, you can step into someone's experience.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the reason why the Rome thing, like going back to Rome can only work to a certain extent because we don't have data. Right. We don't have visual data on Rome, but yeah, a hundred years from now, like history classes will be
1: like all the data
0: that we have now on the world. I completely agree. That's exciting. People walking
1: through living history, creating history people are wearing augmented reality they have cameras like we already have phones and cameras have them always on get all that data like we're saying like eventually we'll figure out how to use this data as long as we store it like yeah. unlimited so you can re- recreate everything so I like, I like the Black Mirror episodes that are very like tech heavy and you can see all the cool little like people going deep on I'm thinking of these different things. What's your favorite Black Mirror episode? I, the one that comes to mind is like Christmas special. Spoilers alert, like just the fact that, yeah, taking consciousness and putting it into a machine. I always think like if they can do that, they can do a ton more things that they don't show in the show. But yeah, being able to like put someone in, like take someone's consciousness and be able to use it. I'm very much like past augmented reality. I'm very interested in brain controlled interfaces. Like a lot of them are invasive right now, but they have things where people can like like they have to do experiments on monkeys where they move cursors with their minds. That, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's like years old already. There's a lot of cool stuff. There's a company I'm looking at, Neurable, that uses an uh, HTC Vive and connects like a EM uh, EEG machine to your head, like it's a little helmet thing that you can control VR games. I think like the mixture of virtual reality, augmented reality, and brain-controlled interfaces that you can like have your own world, create your own like world, control it. You can control the real world, especially if you have augmented stuff where internet of things connect. You can you can only have like, oh I just want this like this can to like come to me. Or like yeah. you know, like you can actually create that that reality. When like then there's like what's actually real, what's versus what's not and finding clothes that you like, like smart mirrors. I think like Angela's working on a startup like the show is right. like how you look in in different clothing and just to be able to I was thinking like that, and like you could send it to your friend, like, do you like this shirt? Like, should I get it? And then, then like when you go on like the virtual scale, like you don't even need to buy real clothes and people are buying like augmented like d- digital things to ah. Yeah, or you can people you can play games where everyone's a wow. wizard and you just have like, I see everyone in wizard costumes. Like there's like endless possibilities in that realm. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah.
0: That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Maybe you like, you buy like a something akin to a QR code, right? on your shirt yeah. where like when people see that qr code that's what your shirt appears like yeah to them right
1: yeah it's just like a world of white walls and like white clothing just like overlays stuff like there's yeah. a i don't even know who produced the video i see you know, like connected through reddit on youtube where someone's walking through they got ads going everywhere and if they're in a supermarket like you want to use your credits but that's like, all augmented and like there's like a bug or something that shuts down for a second, just like very silent and like all these like like blank stuff everywhere. Yeah. So it's like interesting to see how that actually pans out because there's so many different ways it can go. And depending how... And the technology is hard, like it's very difficult to mix the virtual world into the real world. Like one of the best examples that works well is the yellow line in football, like yeah. the first down line in football. like. Because someone's standing in front of that line, it blocks it and it goes on the knows like where to be on the field. And just like to do that for everything in real life and it is, it's hard. And to see like how fast we're moving, to see do these things collide, what happens when a virtual thing collides with a, a real thing and all that. It's hard to like discern, especially with like one, may, maybe two cameras, but do it live i think going to concerts but not actually being at the concert being able to like ha- everyone has a front and center view yeah like, i
0: think i think that's one of the like uh kind of obvious like a virtual reality like watching the nba finals from half court like floor side half
1: court yeah. without actually or going as like lebron yeah. you know <laughs> like they, they wear goggles sometimes anyways like a little camera on them like yeah yeah it's just, uh, just endless possibilities yeah, and like jumping back, um, other thing, uh, like autonomous vehicles, I'm super excited for because it, it now makes the car another room, right? Yeah. It's no longer just the place to go A to B. You could get in the car, like we're in New York, you go like, all right, I'm gonna go to San Francisco. I take a couple of days straight, maybe stop for bathroom breaks and food, but you have an entertainment center in your car where you're on the internet doing or stuff, gym working. Or something. Yeah, yeah, like you, that could be your home. Yeah, gym, you could work out in there. It's basically, like endless possibilities again of another room where you can you can be connected to the internet and do stuff yeah which is like
0: imagine like on your like morning commute getting in your workout to work
1: yeah yeah and they no longer need to be like front facing like out because no one's driving it can be more like a limo or like a party bus where everything's for the middle and yeah. yeah like telecommunications and all that and yeah you can send dog like oh like send my dog up to a different city to visit. Like, I'll fly, but I'll send my dog in a car. And it's just anything is possible. You could, you could just, like, wake up in a car, like, after a night, drink, like, shit, I'm on my way to, to Boston right now. Like, okay, like, hang on in Boston. Like, you no longer, like, are tied down. I feel like people, like, maybe it's, like, a lot of fleet cars that are coming. So people, like, rent, like, Uber sort of model, Where which is interesting because Uber, they're really good because they don't need to own cars. So it's going to be yeah. interesting to see, like, People, like the ownership of cars the whole spectrum of like no I like, so like having a trunk and keeping my things in my car so when I'm in there I have all my things versus like now I just need to get from somewhere right now to somewhere else yeah Like I feel like New York would definitely be a lot of no one owning cars but like like Texas or somewhere with a lot of like California where everyone drives like a lot more of that. definitely car ownership is and gonna change flying and- cars as well insane like you yeah. no longer need like you're in colorado in the mountains it takes a half hour to get around the mountain you get be there in five minutes just boop. like no more like traffic everyone has their own like destination path straight shot yeah yeah
0: i think airbus has this like concept video where like uh the central mode of transportation is like some like cubicle and then like that cubicle can be put on wheels it can be put like t- on these like quadcopter like wings yeah. and like you can kind of move from like, so like
1: modular sort of yeah modes of transportation yeah. modular transportation yeah no, that makes sense and with good thing with cubes is you can stack them like mm-hmm. right, make bigger cubes like a huge problem with transportation now is like the average occupancy of a vehicle is like 1.2 people like most cars they have five seats or more and it's one person and there maybe two people yeah and so that causes a lot of traffic congestion you can have vehicles that are one-person cars or like combine them make a two-person car like combine like a yeah. trunk story, a lot of a lot of different possibilities
0: pay for each like extra addition. yeah maybe.
1: or rent it temporarily like you know a lot a lot of interesting stuff to be very exciting to see how they play out thank you for tuning in to the style is free podcast we hit so many topics this episode on so many different technologies and how they're going to affect the future and we're going to dive deeper into each one of those in future episodes so thanks again for tuning in this is the style is free podcast i am your host brett Liebwitz.